Welcome to part two of our Yopcast for December 10th, 2018. Featuring the 12 finalists for our 2018 Yop Poem of the Year Award going head-to-head in what we call the Poem of the Year Smackdown. The 12 finalists each won Yop Poem of the Month at our open mic over the past year, dating from December 2017 on through November of 2018. The winner of Yop Poem of the Year takes home a cash prize, Broken Post t-shirt, Broken Post membership, and a Poet of the Week feature on our website. Our 12 finalists for 2018 Yop Poem of the Year are Annie Virginia, Judy Schneier, Carl Iglesias, Emma Rojas, George Brocklehurst, Arthur Russell, Emily Wilkinson, Julia Knobloch, Star Davis, Laura Murphy, Nikki Ritchie, and Keith Woodrow. So, strap on your seatbelts. This one is for all the marbles and other metaphors. Enjoy. We do need to begin now the Poem of the Year Smackdown. So if I could just have your attention. This is becoming performance art as I... As I watch how many people ignore me at the same time. <laughs> you think if, you, if, you're, if you're like tall and Asian and have a mic, people are going to listen to you, but what kind of political reality is that? I mean, <laughs> that would just be absurd for me to expect that, so I don't know why I do. Anyway, uh, we are going to begin the poem of the year smackdown. I love how I amuse myself and just like these people here, so I appreciate, I appreciate you. Uh, Poem of the Year Smackdown. I can't even remember when we started calling it this, but it's great that we do. <laughs> uh, we have our 12 winners of Poem of the Year over the past year since last December 2017. All right? So uh, you could vote before you hear all the readers. <laughs> you know, that's up to you. Maybe you're here to hear one person vote for that person, and damn it all, you're going to vote for that person. That's great. But uh, I encourage you to wait till you've heard all 12 readers, you know. But, of course, you know, you have your own liberties and individualism. You can do whatever you want. Um, but uh, vote once, please. <laughs> and don't... I better not get a single text. That's all I'm saying. If I get a single text, it's going to ruin my Christmas. All right? So just, it'll be on your conscience. <laughs> all right? Vote once. <laughs> I'm sure you could. <laughs> you should text me your own vote. That'll be hilarious. Okay, so uh, we're going to hear each of the readers... I'm going to read their names, obviously, and we'll review it all at the, night, at the end of the night. And then we are going to vote. What's going to happen at the end of it is we are going to collect your votes, Maggie and I, and maybe <laughs> a couple of volunteers or something. And then we are going to hear a couple of featured readings from last year's Poem of the Year winner, uh, Shara Hardison. Where are you, Shara? She's sitting down over there. You see her hand. It's a brilliant hand. So she will be reading, and then we will hear from our 2017 Yawper of the Year, Emily Blair, who I also believe is sitting down over there. Wave your hand. And then we are going to announce our 2018 Yawper of the Year, where if you don't know what the Yawper of the Year is, that is an award we give as Broken Poets to a poet in our Yawp community who is not only a brilliant poet, but a generous supporter of other poets. We value both of those things equally. I know not every poet does, but at Broken Poets, we do. 
while we are hearing from those people, we are going to be furiously counting the votes, and then at the end of that, we are going to announce the winner, and we are going to hear from that uh, winner, and I'm sure they'll be crying. So uh, get your Instagram moments ready for that crying moment. Our first reader in the 2018 Poem of the Year Smackdown is Annie Virginia. Give it up for Annie. Prescription for reentrance. Into the south by wrapping molasses around your feet and taffy your tongue. Wear white gloves so the rope won't burn. The leaves chatter gossip. There is unfinished business, stakes resting in woodsheds. The high school football team just won. Something's being lit. Have a dark liquid in your cup at the bonfire when folks come around to talk to you. Don't lean boy, lean into one. Don't watch the hunting knife move natural against denim and make sure your own blade is, well, is so well concealed it looks like giving. Don't burn the grits. The deer in the constellations worries on the weekends. The bear holds a Dixie flag between stuffed paws, leaks spoilt honey, is re-sewn up the back and positioned so that only God above the dark sky can see the damage, forgives it. Eat the Baptist soup of forest meats set in front of you by someone who holds you down by making sure you weigh enough, never believes you do, is sure your fat won't keep you warm enough. The two biggest churches in town grow their steeples a few more inches each year, competing for closeness to God and his watch on the black bear. And now the tips are needle points to see which can get deepest under his skin. They baby babble over the privilege of a lightning strike proof he sees them. You are safer at the soda fountain, where the same people have worked for their entire lives, where grease is the innermost layer of the wall, and all you have to answer is, how's your mama in them? Say prayers slow as a, as a backyard creak, and the people will believe you. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Well done, and thank you for going first. And awesome new haircut, right? Is that a new hairstyle? Yeah, very good. Go, Annie. Yes. Uh, our next reader is Judy Schneier with a beautiful poem about Minnesota. Give it up for Judy. Thank you. <clears throat> My Minnesota. If I move in with Julie's family, they can call me Julie. I will only have to change one letter of my name. I'll be happy to bake the cookies for her, her sisters always bake for family parties. Chocolate chip cookies are one of the few things I make well. I could make them over and over for every family party. I don't know how to arrange flowers, and I don't like to learn new things. But if they do it over and over for every party, I could pick it up eventually. I would go to the parties every weekend and sit quietly in a corner and watch the children play. I'll talk about the weather with Julie's sisters, and we will get a head start on planning the next party. Though, of course, it will be just like the last one. That's what I like about Minnesota. Julie's parents might hope I'll be like her, but I'm sure they will quickly see that I'm more like them. I will also lose the keys. But I can probably climb through the window more easily. 
I'd like to be useful. I'll put Julie on speed dial in case we need her. I know the winters are cold, but I like to spend a lot of time at home streaming Netflix and stretching my hamstrings. A simple life full of family, that's what I want. To be gathered in, nested, smiling at everyone with no one demanding too much from me. I'm sure they're pleased that I make cookies, but even happier that I really want to make them. Unlike Julie, who really wanted to leave and never make them again. <laughs> but we won't say anything bad about her. After all, she's their real daughter, even though we now have the same name, and I live here, and she's so far away in the big city. And I never roll my eyes when mom and dad lose their keys and phones and shoes, when they forget to pay bills, buy food, or do laundry. I forget all those things, too. Unlike Julie, who's so very helpful and never forgets anything. But she does get that certain look in her eye, and her mouth gets just a bit tight when she sees we are confused. It's the stress of that big city life that keeps her juggling things and running around like a chicken without its head, as my mother would say. My biological mother, not Julie's mother. She would never say an unkind word about Julie. Except that it's strange for someone to like a big dirty city with no family better than Minnesota, where people care for each other and have lovely celebrations. It's not as though you have to live in Brooklyn to have good politics or entertainment. Our Netflix stream just fine, thank you very much. <laughs> Hard to know what Julie was looking for that she couldn't find at home. I agree, but say nothing. I'm sure Julie knows what's best for her. She likes those expensive cafes and waiting for the R train. She likes watching dirty bags fly down the street and the cyclists who surprise you when you step off the curb. She's gotten used to rude people who are not related to her. It would be confusing if she returned. Our names are so similar. But that's okay. I can make name tags. Judy S. and Julie H. She can tell me her favorite animal. Mine's a poodle. And I'll make tracing on cardboard. I'll cut them and write out our names in block letters. We can fasten them on with masking tape so we don't ruin our blouses with safety pins. I know Julie will have hers forever. I'll probably misplace mine pretty quick. But think about it. If Julie's there, she can help me find it. Julie Hart, everyone, the uh, subject of that poem. <laughs> Former Yop of the Year, Julie Hart. Uh, a great homage. <laughs> she likes those expensive cafes and waiting for the R train. Wow. Yeah, I just waited for the R train this weekend. It was not, it was not fun. Okay, uh, that was Judy Schneier. Before that was Annie Virginia. Our next reader in the SmackDown is Carl Iglesias. Give it up for Carl. Uh, just a little bit, thank you. 
This poem stems from an article in the New York Times where a, a covering Hurricane Maria where a Puerto Rican man said what he would miss the most is his mango tree because it knew all of his secrets. <clears throat> Eulogy for a mango tree. I'm still the boy in the Navy shorts running around you with my shirt wrapped around my head, lifting a fallen branch, now a leafed sword. You whisper a breeze I could barely hear, and I nod as if I understand. Did you think less of me when home was a spiraled gust and I returned to the thunder of my birth, fist rushing into wall, hiding violently. Some secrets sound like boiling salt water, don't they? Carved my name into you with a parrot's claw. You were there. I fell asleep outside my door on Cobble Road. Did you whisper our stories to the horses in summer? On the darkest nights where I'd stumble home a puddle of myself, why didn't you just drink me? God, lift you, wake me up with sweet prayers as if to not embarrass me. Who else do you offer refuge in your shadows? What other faces have you saved? You understood that the stars don't need to see everything. And when the sky arrived as a bursting mango, I'd share a cafecito with you. Scoff in your bark. You'd admit you thought you'd never see the day I'd like my coffee without cream. It's my secret. It's everlasting life. What's yours? Tell me. Tell me. Good stuff, Carl. Oh, what a pleasure to hear all these poems again. It's like, uh, it's like reviewing all the, the good moments of your life, <laughs> which is not usually what we do, right? And they're, they're all beautifully lyrical. Uh, wow, that was Carl Iglesias. Our next reader is Emma Rojas. Give it up for Emma. speak for itself, but I am really grateful to have this opportunity to share it again. Um, so, how to explain you're half Hispanic, but you don't speak Spanish. First of all, if you can avoid it, just don't tell people. Only give your last name if absolutely necessary. Maybe get married and take your husband's last name indefinitely. Certainly don't hyphenate. That will only complicate the assumptions people might make. Like they might assume, especially if your husband has darker hair and eyes than yours and happens to have a list that he is from Spain, which will thoroughly disappoint the romantic when they find out that isn't the case. But if avoidance is completely impossible and your Spanish last name that makes people send you mail in a language you don't speak must be given like on your resume or a job application 
When your interviewer, upon seeing your name, asks if you speak Spanish, lying is a mostly okay option. It's best to start an interview with an affirmative statement. If they only speak English, just tell them, yes, you speak Spanish. That way, you can avoid unearthing the shame you inherited because your parents assured you the other half of who you are is not worth understanding or getting to know by not teaching you your other language. The next question to avoid is whether your mother or father is Hispanic. I know you would think it's obvious given that your last name is Spanish, but don't put it past people to not ask stupid questions when they're staring at you like you've just turned into either an exotic creature or a washed up piece of trash they don't know what to do with. It's better to brush this question off or again resort to lying before offering the truth about whether your mother or father is Hispanic. Instead, tell them neither because they're both dead. <laughs> they died on a boat bringing you to this country and it was your tío and tía who brought you up and didn't teach you your other language because they thought it'd help you to assimilate. Now, because you're a dreamer, you might just get deported to a country you don't even know the language of. Let the fool who asked you such a stupid question feel the discomfort because they weren't going to like any possible answer you'd give them. You see, if you tell the wrong woman your mother is Hispanic, she'll look at you like your mother is a whore who stole her man from her. Which, in your grandmother's case, is partly true. But it's better not to admit that, since she did it for socioeconomic reasons that it's also better to avoid in conversation. And if you tell the wrong man your father is Hispanic, he'll look at you with an expression that suggests he believes he's doing you a favor by giving you a shot at the opportunity to become a Smith, Roger, or Franklin. You may wonder if that's true and dare to test it, but I've felt those thoughts penetrate me in a single glance and learned firsthand it's better to be vague or flat out lie than to feel in danger by accidentally revealing some part of yourself that doesn't fit into a category that's convenient. Because if you do reveal more of yourself than is convenient, it's your own fault that people give you inadequate service, less consideration, or refuse to offer you human rights when attempting to cross a border. You should have known to keep your mask on, but I guess it makes sense that you don't know the, the foundation of our values is slowly eroding each time we choose convenience and facade over good reason. After all, you're half not from this country. So what I'm really trying to tell you is how being who you are is not really okay because you don't fit into a category that's convenient because you're mixed up in a truth people don't want to talk about. And what I'm really trying to say is that when you lied on your college application about being Caucasian because you didn't want a handout or to use your heritage as a bartering chip or to degrade your merit in the eyes of your peers by filling one of the spots allotted specifically for a person like yourself, you put a gag in your mouth, tied your own hands behind your back, and put another crack in the foundation of real freedom. And what I'm really trying to say is that when the shame isn't that your parents didn't teach you your other language. The real shame is that you're 28 and you continue to accept that half of your history is something to be avoided in conversation. And that placing blame on someone else is just an excuse to hide behind so that you don't have to deal with the embarrassment and frustration of how difficult it is to learn a new language. 
And what I'm really trying to say is that when you tell people you're half Hispanic but you don't speak Spanish, what you're really saying is that you prefer convenience over truth. That you prefer to leave half of who you are and the mountain of people who'd like to be where you are to fend for themselves so you can get ahead. But more than that, what I'm trying to tell you is that it's not too late. What I'm really trying to explain is how to untie your hand, take the gag out of your mouth, and stand up for truth instead of shame, blame, fear, and convenience. What I'm really trying to explain is that it's okay you've been afraid to be completely yourself. It's okay you've been capitalizing on your luck in the genetic lottery and standing behind a facade hoping no one will find out who you really are. Though in truth, if you take a step back, you'll see you're 100% human, like everybody else. And there's no shame in that. Thank you. Damn good. Emma Rojas, everyone. This is fun, right? I'm having fun. Our next reader, former Book and Poet student of mine, give it up for George Brocklehurst. Thanks, everybody. Uh, this, this poem is called Sunday Morning. Each Sunday morning finds him sitting in the barber's chair, soothed by the slap and slop of shaving foam the razor's raw edge on his skin, the heat of the towel pressed against his freshly shaven face. He is absolved. Less grand, perhaps, than Sunday's years before when absolution came from gods who deigned to stoop and talk to him in ancient texts and rituals by candlelight. He'd felt a part of something then and tries to think of when it was the red and white striped pole replaced the steeple and the cross, but finds he cannot say. His faith towards the end had stretched so thin that it was hard to see if it was there at all. Eroded like a cliff which seems so static, even as the wind and waves exact their steady price. When it came time to draw new maps, that cliff had fled much farther than he ever would have guessed. His world is simpler now. After the barber, he drinks coffee, black and strong, and thinks of solid things that he can see, of taste and touch, and slowly walking home. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, George. Tall. Okay, that was George Brocklehurst. Before that was Emma Rojas, Carl Iglesias, Judy Schneier, and Annie Virginia. We are five readers in. Our next reader is wearing a tux tonight. Give it up for Arthur Russell. less in this company will do than, than the full regalia <clears throat> and glasses. Um, this is called New Year's Eve. After my brother and I had been washed and put to bed, my mother, dressed, perfumed, 
bejeweled and high-heeled, would come into our room to wish us a happy New Year. My mom believed in New Year's Eve. You could see it in the way she stood there, backlit by the hall light. She believed in beaded dresses, dangly earrings, a sleeve of bracelets, blue eyeshadow, Shalimar perfume, and going out on a cold night in a warm car with crusty snow pushed back in a fan shape from the windshield and headlights making prisms of the streetlights and arriving by car and stockinged leg by leg emerging on heels and reaching as she teetered for her husband's hand. She believed in being seen by the other women arriving and being impressed by the decorated ballroom, even if she herself, that very afternoon, in jeans and dirty sneakers, had done the decorating. She believed in drinks and the naughtiness of drinks, and saying, oh no, I shouldn't. <laughs> and, okay, why not? <laughs> and she believed that it mattered how many times you were asked a thing before you gave in. And she took joy from giving in. She believed in laughing till she cried. Laughing tears were good. A stitch in your side was better. And not caring if your stockings tore was the closing argument of a good time. She believed in dancing with your husband. Or if he wouldn't dance, then dancing with your husband's friend. <laughs> or your friend's husband. She believed in dancing rumba waltz or foxtrot, and she believed in looking up at the band when the rhythm changed as though the band were the ones making inappropriate suggestions. <laughs> you guys <laughs> was an actual color in the light of her eyes. She had a memory for partners, dance to dance and year to year, which one had a firm hand on her low back or a confident release or hair she liked to look at in the lights. She believed in sitting down beside you at your table after dancing and saying, oh my God, I'm not as young as I used to be. <laughs> she believed in paper hats and party horns passed out at a quarter to 12 and the waiters with their silver trays of champagne flutes. Quick, she'd make the rounds to kiss her girlfriends, then find her way back to her husband before it was too late. She believed that something happened at midnight. Something was going to happen at midnight, and it mattered who you stood beside and if he held your hand. Standing in the doorway of our room, she wanted my brother and me to know that she loved us, that she wished us a very happy new year, even though she couldn't be with us when the new year came, even though we couldn't be awake when the new year came, 
even though we couldn't see that thing that happened when the new year came, except as a color in the light of her eyes. Arthur Russell, everyone. I feel like you had to wear a tux to read that, right? <laughs> Whew, damn good. Um, that makes me actually look forward to New Year's. The thing about New Year's is it always sucks, right? <laughs> Despite what you try to do. So hopefully this year will be good. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm looking at my wife back there. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, that was uh, our sixth reader, Arthur Russell. Before that was George Brocklehurst, Emma Rojas, Carla Iglesias, Judy Schneider, Annie Virginia. We are halfway through. How y'all feeling? Okay. Have you voted already? Good for you, good for you. Yeah, I, I haven't gotten any text, text votes yet, so you're all paying attention. I like that. Our next reader merely traveled here from Australia to read tonight. Give it up for Emily Wilkinson. Yeah. I too am really grateful to be here tonight to be able to read this poem again. So here goes. To my daughter with Shah Gibbs syndrome, age six, after Jane Cortez. You know, I wish I could rewrite the story of your birth. You know, to a story with breath. You know, I wish you didn't have to ride the back of the bus. You know, tied into your wheelchair, close to the ramp. You know, I wish I could create a different world for you. You know, away from administrators, hospitals and tubes. You know, a world where no one says you catch more flies with honey. You know, a world where I tell those flies to fuck off. <laughs> you know, this ain't no magical kingdom of fantasy bullshit, you know? This ain't no everyone should love each other kind of crap. You know, it's a chance to breathe and grow. You know, to play with your cymbals, to bang on your drum. You know, I wish I could be there for you when I'm gone. You know, holding your hand, brushing your hair. You know, I wish that wayward piece of DNA would tell us its secrets. You know, the code for the stars, the code for the sky. You know, I wish the world for you was water. You know, water that holds you up so you can float. You know, water that breaks into tiny symphonies when you splash. You know, water that rests in your hands. Thank you, Emily. Beautiful poem. I don't think many people can say they travel thousands of miles to read a poem, right? So you are not one of those people. Uh, our next reader is Julia Knobloch. Give it up for Julia.
Hi, everyone. This one is called Gasp. I have lived heat waves that deserve their name. I don't need a cold weather warning to bundle up. I have known people who don't confuse politeness and conformity with wisdom and authenticity. I have confided in friends without being accused of TMI. I have smoked cigarettes without being accused of moral flaws by a society that mistakes appropriateness for righteousness. I know people who write about what breaks them, not about lessons learned, best principles, sports similes, pussies, drugs, and fuck, fuck, fuck. Hellhole of convenience and complacency, where people say ouch when you tell them what hurts you, where vulgarity is considered genuine, where being silly will cost you the second chance you never had, where they have a term and acronym for everything, where rosé wine and purple cabbage mark the season's changes, where justice equals cleansing actions, where for-profit activists are charity idols, where there is no difference between convictions and performance, where you can always reinvent yourself with the proper degree, where everyone screams renewal before they know what to renew, where hipsters go to the Met to boast their affluence, where the left side of the escalator is always clogged. Hive mind, is it ethical to order in during a storm? It's a shame, healthcare in this country. Let's do lunch. Yes. This is a bitter, jaded rant. I want to be part of something, but I never fit in. I want to rant without having to announce, rant over. <laughs> I won't let myself be brainwashed to belong to the team. I want to hear people argue when they don't agree. I don't want their frugal smiles. I don't want to care for a triple monogram. I am so through with irony. I want summer to last longer than Labor Day. I want to live in a society that shames abusers also outside the workplace, where people know that fake is fake and fraud is fraud, no matter how cute or witty, where people are concerned, not offended when you don't show up, where people are wild and controlled, no feels like fascists, always too hot or too cold, always under the gun, people who live the values they post to their fridges or walls, who will go the extra mile without bragging because really it's not that far. No, I don't want ice cream. I don't want Marathon and Restaurant Week, Springsteen on Broadway, brunch special. That's how New York eats. Allen Ginsberg, aren't you sick of everyone imitating you? I don't even howl. I only gasp. I don't rise to eternity with angels, Mohammedan or Indian. I don't hallucinate with Blake or Gilgamesh. Allen Ginsberg, you are not with me. But can you tell me where I'm going? Where is the American River? Where is that cottage for me to show up in tears at night? What? is American poetry. Thank you. Thank you, Julia. Uh, so Julia workshop that poem at the Broken Poets Hamptons Retreat, yes? That's true. So fun fact, uh, Julia, Emily, and the next reader all room together at the Broken Poets Hamptons Retreat. So apparently that room <laughs> <laughs> was really packed with uh, yacht power because they all won Poem of the Month consecutively. So the chances of that happening are like less than 1%. Anyway, our next reader is Star. David, let's give it up for Star. This is called Hoarder. 
I collect broken Bibles. The pages hang off the binding. Those religious pamphlets from pushy pastors. Broken pieces of English on broken pieces of paper. Newspaper clippings of dead boys I had dead sex with. I collect old blood. Sticks of street incense that smell like burning Kool-Aid. Somewhere in this house is an old joint I smoked in college. The old cigarette buds from mom's ashtray. I collect fire. My first condom wrapper is laminated and framed in an old shoebox. <laughs> in my dresser drawer is a plan B pill a birthday gift from guy saved in my phone as plan B. <laughs> I collect men, old bottles of cologne, old sweatpants, whatever old love smells like, I collect that too. I collect the things from my childhood that make me feel most poor, cassette tapes, White Barbie doll disposable heads, expired food stamp cards, eviction notices, Hennessy bottles, heroin needles, fake clothes, fake hair, rat traps, Raymond noodle packets, stolen CDs, stolen men. I collect my sins. Old diaries, my old tongues, in a purple box under my bed is a treasure trove of my whole face. Inside are dirty notes from my high school locker, my first pack of birth control pills, dirty poems, dirty books, dirty panties peeled from my old dirty body, a razor, old pregnancy test, an ultrasound photo, old suicide notes, old prayers. I collect all my demons. They live in the open spaces where I can see them still. Thank you. <laughs> damn good, damn good. Yeah. What room number was that you guys were in? Nine. Room two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next year that room's gonna cost $2,000. Wow. Uh, something was happening in that room. I don't know what it was. I mean, it's because you were close to the pool, right? It was the first floor. Yeah, you were right next to the pool. Maybe that was it. Okay, we got three readers left. Our next reader is Laura Murphy. Give it up for Laura. Thank you. Hello. Good. How are you? Hi. Um, I'm not going to read my poem. I rehearsed it so many times I remember it, I think. Um, it's called La Flaneuse, and a recap for some of you. But uh, that's the feminized version of flaneur, uh, the French word for a man who is idle about town. Um, and La Flaneuse has only been used recently, because now women are allowed to be idle about town. La Flaneuse. At night, the internet is a filibuster, and it keeps me awake. I'm trying to divide my days into a series of life-affirming activities. Opera, 
in the morning, followed by ecstatic communion with a stationary bike. My ex, whatever, is moving to Denver, and I'd follow her, but she'd break my heart anyway, and anyway, I never wanted a domestic skill set. I don't care if I scorch another pan. I am just going to keep on going. Now, anyone can court fame from anywhere. Before the internet took off, people had been researching it for years. Personally, I would love to be overcome by a great passion. Manhattan, and it's morning, and I like the way I look. I can feel the humidity settling like gloss on my skin, slicking my limbs and twisting my hair. Broadway is a burst seam, and I swoon across the street. A counterterrorism unit assembles on the corner of 96. <laughs> Yesterday, the last bulb in my bathroom went out and my face in the mirror was dark. The bulb felt as smooth as a bone in my hand. Nobody wants to hear a musical about the nihilism of Jimmy Buffett. <laughs> I look past the malevolent shaftway and towards all the best looking men. The gut is the laboratory of desire, which is why I always eat standing up. In Bryant Park, the buildings are as iridescent as onion skins, and on the train, a man in a khaki hat carries an elaborate bouquet. The car fills with the scent of roses. On the internet, I count all of the lady detectives I have ever loved. <laughs> when did I begin this arithmetic of other people? The daffodils have gone feral. They're wandering the city like vagrants. Thank you. Thank you, Laura. Good stuff. Good entourage. <laughs> you got a tux. We got two readers left. Wow, I'm excited. I'm excited for this vote. <laughs> Our next reader uh, didn't. Yeah, I'm not even going to say anything because I'm going to fuck something up. Anyway, our next reader is Nikki Ritchie. Give it up for Nikki. It's quite tall. Yeah, I thought that too, but I yeah. didn't want to presume. No, that's fine. I'm short. Um, this is. Guys, I wish I'd won earlier in the year because this is a really tough act to follow. <laughs> like all of these. <laughs> you know, it's not going to fit me. <laughs> but I appreciate it. I thought my jacket was quite smart. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm going to read a poem. Um, so this is about all that stuff you're told as a child, and then you grow up and you think like, well, that was probably a lie. Um, and it's based kind of on a ton of things, but one of them is something that Ruth Bader Ginsburg said in the Supreme Court in the 70s, which is a gender line helps to keep women on a pedestal, not on a pedestal, but in a cage. And so this is, my body is a joke. My body crinkles and created scars from chicken pox and childhood scrapes. All my memory, I've pulled at my own skin. I like the way it comes apart. I have cut, edited, and broken my body more ways than I know to count. 
I've forgotten why bodies like poems need to be beautiful, but if it's all I've known, it must be the truth. So I fold myself until my spine fits my belly and my heart sits in my mouth. I chew the fat off hate, white and slimy between my teeth until it is all I taste and my heart pumps that hatred, a vicious whiteness down my raw throat. I sit, slick with the shame, waiting for love to fall from my shoulders as I sleep. Maybe that's why I don't sleep. It is imposter syndrome, they tell me. This feeling that success is an ill-fitting coat too long in the arms. Funny how it's only misshaped on women. Jokes on us, girls. How we are ridiculed for hysteria, but they wave desires at the end of an erection. How we have been taught to button up our blouses and our legs, our emotions, to sew our mouths shut and hand over our hearts, to get on our knees and please pray. As a child, I declared myself a feminist and was told there was no need. The worst days were behind us. <laughs> ah, yes, of course. I'm, I'm sorry, just the dog days ahead in which I am presided over like a bitch. I learned then that ambition was dirty, made of snips and snails and puppy dogs' tails, a red rover to never get over, on the far end of the playground, with outspoken, unmarried, barren, vagina, cunt, pussy, clit, or any other noun for the space between my legs or my ears. Interchangeable, really. These things that I was to provide no man access to until he had thrown a white dress on a clean floor. Well, fuck them. I have bled on more sheets than they'll know. Take a tithing from my swear jar as I repeat myself. Fuck them. I have tried to make myself disappear, hoped to be carried by the wind out of lives and places I have no business being. But these heavy thighs and childbearing hips, which have borne no children, which I was kindly reminded to hate, will not stop for any man. It is none of their business to rule my body, to scoop their laughs off my smooth, softened skin. You know what? I just can't. I no longer find satisfaction in shrinking myself to fit their small minds. Thank you. Damn good. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be hard to vote, y'all. Okay, and then there was one. All right, our final reader of the Yop Home of the Year SmackDown for 2018 is Keith Woodrow. Give it up for Keith. Hello, everybody. Um, I'm Keith Woodrow. My poem is called. Thank you. This whole thing. <laughs> 
It's called Immolation. It's been six months since David S. Buckle lit his own fuse and Brooklyn seems already to have forgotten. You're gonna have to look up his name, aren't you? Like you'd have to Google the infamous Tariq Al-Tayyab Muhammad Boatzizi, whom Aeneas saw in the underworld? No spring for Brooklyn. Even flesh burningly large acts of resistance wither with time. What use then is the fight? Is writing a poem in a world where poetry loses to Netflix every night because poetry can't hit your dopamine receptors quite like a miniseries can? Because poetry can't fuck good? What if it could compete? Imagine this piece just smacking the headboard and I've successfully aroused you to action to quit your job, convinced myself to quit my own, to wrap a bandana around my face, to deface the skyscrapers of this city, to unfurl from a roof a banner that declares meaningful truth, to blow a whistle so loud I pierce the corporate eardrum, to rig the system in the interest of longitudinal humanity and the environment. Can I do that without lighter fluid? Is that even the point? Imagine you binge this onslaught of peak golden age single-use poetry, that it can be so easy, that it doesn't tire you out even on these palinurous nights when you fight off sleep for just one more verse. And your book asks, are you still reading? <laughs> because poetry tracks your levels of engagement. Imagine you didn't have to pay close attention that it can refresh you as it washes over you like last night's Grey's Anatomy, and you can forget it wormed inside your brain until someone shakes you by your shoulder and asks, oh my God, did you read? And you cover your heart and say, oh my God, so good. <laughs> and that's the extent of it. What if that is the point of a poem? What if that is the goal for a writer to have achieved. That is a life, oh my God, so good. He lit himself on fire in a public park because he could not adequately change the dire course of the climate and he proved that he had accurately assessed his inability to influence. We teach our children to aspire to change the world and their inevitable failure will not be their fault. I was built to keep writing, to keep fucking real good, whatever that amounts to, to scream at the mountains, to keep swimming upstream despite my no upper body strength, despite the current interminable that douses everyone's fire. And I don't know what else to do besides rewatch all nine seasons of the original 80s version of Dynasty on Amazon Prime. And holy shit, you guys, so good. Thank you, Keith. Wow. It's organic, right? That was a perfect ending. Holy shit, so good. I could not have planned that better myself. So, uh, we are on to the vote. I hear paper rustling, which is great. It's a beautiful sound. Almost as beautiful as these poems that we heard. So, uh, vote once. <laughs> if we see your ballot with... Two poets circled. <laughs> We're just going to throw it out. Uh, you know all the instructions for voting, you know? Press hard with your pen. 
This is the first time we've ever done this. I'm, this is why I'm laughing. I'm, I'm hoping this succeeds. <laughs> uh, let me review the people for you. I guess you have them all for you. I'm not even sure I need to review, but that was Keith Woodrow, Nikki Ritchie, Laura Murphy, Star Davis, Julia Knobloch, Emily Wilkinson, Arthur Russell, George Brocklehurst, Emma Rojas, Carl Iglesias, Judy Schneier, and Annie Virginia. One more round of applause for all of our readers. Fantastic job. It's definitely going to be difficult to vote. Right. Say that again. Can you ask Putin for advice? Are you asking me for advice? Is that what's happening? I don't understand your question, Richard. I have no idea what he's talking about. Oh, I see. This is, this is just going. So I see people leaving, which is great. Thanks. Thanks for coming. I see, I see you dropping off your votes with our poor intern Maggie. Uh, I guess that's a thing you could do. A cooler thing to do would be to stay to hear the results of the vote. <laughs> a much cooler thing, in fact. Uh, so if you are here, can I have your attention, please? Please stop talking. Oh, my God, guys. So good. Please stop talking. Once you have made your vote, just pass your ballots to the center, and we can collect them in an orderly fashion so that Maggie is not overwhelmed with paper. Maggie is an unpaid intern. Please don't ask her to handle massive amounts of paper all at once while you leave our event. <laughs> and don't even wait to find out the result. I don't understand that, honestly. How, aren't you dying to find out who won? <laughs> You're just like, I voted, my work here is done. <laughs> Peace out, y'all. <laughs> I'll find out on the internet. Um, so I don't see any votes in the center. I don't know what's happened. Has someone collected them? <laughs> does, anyone have a, does anyone have a vote who, that has not been collected? Julie Hart. Former Yawper of the Year is going around collecting votes. Thank you, Julie. I didn't even ask her to do that. This is why she's Yawper of the Year. It's just beautifully organic and generous. If you have a vote and it has not been collected, just point your physical presence to that front table and we will collect it. So, uh, can I have your attention? This is just absolute chaos. Please don't leave. I mean, if you have to leave, fine. But uh, the, you know, the night is not over. All right, so we are going to hear from our 2017 Poem of the Year winner, an illustrious poet wearing all black, standing elegantly by the wall. Give it up for Shara Hardison. Hi, everybody. Um, I was just thinking about it. It's, I'm coming up on two years. I've been, I've been coming to these for two years now, which is pretty wild. And I went back through old yomps this afternoon at work because I'm a terrible employee. <laughs> and um, I counted and I, I read eight of these, which is wild. And I remember the first time I came and I didn't know anybody. I didn't know a soul. And I don't think I talked to anybody because I think that that's a really hard thing to do. And now I walk in tonight and I, I know so many of your names. And I've been in some of your homes. And um, we've shared stories and snacks and wine and so much more than poetry and it's been a pleasure. I'm really glad to know you all. 
I wrote this um, at the very first workshop I took with Brooklyn Poets a long time ago. Try to remember the way your dog sometimes curls herself into a perfect ampersand. The way you sometimes curl inside yourself and bloom for your own sake. The way you're more at home in an empty house. The color of every room you've ever slept in. Everything you dreamed last night. The way your name is scarce. Old phone numbers, sticky breakfast fingers, painting butter on toast. That the fridge light goes off when you close the door. The way some people on the sidewalk refuse to make room. How to throw an elbow when the mood strikes. The faces of astonished men. The way your heroes hold their arms wide like a life raft. That you too can learn to make your body into a boat. How to look people in the eyes. How to be charming on an elevator and know exactly where to put your hands. How to say hello and goodbye. How to speak at all to a stranger on a subway car. How to inhale smoke, how to hold your liquor, how to build a bridge. The last place that made you cry, the last place you put your keys, what you promised when and to whom. How to turn ideas into verbs. How to America better. What to do with a life exactly. Thank you. Thank you, Shara. Good rain as poem of the year. <laughs> How to America better. Um, the votes are being furiously counted by Maggie. Let's give a round of applause for Maggie back there. Maggie! <laughs> and my beautiful wife, Anna Maria Farina, for helping out. Thank you. If you have any questions with the vote, just talk to Maggie. <laughs> Uh, any votes that have not been collected? Okay, great. Uh, we are next going to hear from our Yawper of the Year from 2017, Emily Blair. Give it up for Emily. Thanks. It's been fun to be Yawper of the Year. I think the most fun thing is just hearing everybody's poems. Um, that was amazing reading tonight, everybody. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I am going to end the year on kind of a weird note. <laughs> this is a weird poem. It's not like a celebratory poem or whatever. Um, it's about, it's entitled The Vertigo Tour, and it was inspired by that um, tour that you can take in San Francisco where you go to all the locations. Um, of Vertigo, the film, which maybe some of you have seen, maybe a lot of you haven't, and that's fine. It's like, <laughs> fine to skip, but not only that, <laughs> yeah, I've never actually been on the tour, so whatever. Um, and I wrote this, I was in my hometown visiting my parents, so. I promised Jason I would ramble a little bit so that there's time to, to count the votes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The Vertigo Tour. You won't know you're on it till you hear the violins, till you spot me in my white gloves throwing petals into the water, reading them like tea leaves. The forecast is hazy, a pastiche. Fake ancestors flicker through the streets, hunting for their paved over graves. Which is more awful, absence or presence? Maybe mosquitoes, 
swarming at the base of the bridge where I jumped in the water. Now there's a chain link fence. Now there's a row of orange cones. You can visit museums and bookstores. You can open the door to a second floor apartment, but nobody's there and nobody is ever going to explain. Certainly not me. I was just on my way to the pharmacy when I got sidetracked. That hole in the center of the plot goes all the way down. It might make more sense in cross-section, in vista vision, in the novel. The thing is, I'm not actually from here, and neither are my parents. You better watch out. My imposter syndrome is contagious. Here's a tip. A little gray suit can be worn anywhere, even in midair. But I don't believe in shortcuts. This tour takes a full day, complete with a visit to an antiques market. The floral shop and the restaurant are gone, but my apartment building is still here. The alleyway is a composite of this one and that one. No way to tell if you're coming or going, victim or perpetrator. One clue, your hood ornament is a conquistador. <laughs> I guess I forgot to mention that this is a walking tour. But you can give me a lift, because it turns out the pharmacy is on the other side of the highway now. There's a prop shaped like a tree there, leaves blown by a giant fan. Someone wearing my coat scrambling down the riverbank. Meanwhile, I'm climbing a matte painting of a tower, and it's taking forever. Meanwhile, you have gone to the wrong woods again. Neither one of us knows the difference between a symbol and a motif, between a theme and a feeling. Can I tell you a secret? I never was blonde. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. The Operas of the Year are good. Um, all the Operas of the Year in the house. Last year's winner, Emily Blair. Uh, the year before that, was that you before that, right? Arthur Russell, if you're wondering why he's so good wearing a tux. Uh, he's, he's a decorated man. The year before that, Julie Hart, who is over there, uh, not only collects ballots well, but also uh, inspires good poems about Minnesota. And our original Yopper of the Year, Ricardo Hernandez, is back. I'm most excited about that. Uh, one of our original Yoppers. What is your shirt set? You always got, always got a good T-shirt on. Okay. <laughs> that was for Carl, especially. Thank you for that. Uh, but we have to award the next Yopper of the Year first. All right. All right. Thank you. <laughs> So uh, if you, again, if you haven't been here, the Yopper of the Year Award is an award we give to a poet in our community who is a brilliant poet, brilliant performer, and also supports other poets. That second part is so important and so often forgotten, and it just breaks my heart. So if you are a poet that only cares about yourself, please <laughs> leave the event tonight and actually care about other poets. Support other poets, read their poems, buy their books, go to their readings, clap for them. Do anything, hug them, do anything you can. Um, it's not just about you, it's about the community of poets. Community is really important. It starts in this room, a room like this, other rooms in Brooklyn. Uh, you see this kind of community here. This did not happen overnight. This happened not just with you know my efforts, of course, but all of the people that are here, that come here every month and read amazing poems and clap for other people, right? This is an organic thing that has been built over, I guess it's like over six years now, going on to our seventh year. So. Take this message with you. Spread the Yuletide spirit. <laughs> this, is, this is sounding like a really Christmas message now. But uh, I hope you take it seriously. So uh, our Yopper of the Year for 2018 is one of our original Yoppers. He was here, I believe, at the first one, if not the first one, definitely one of the first. I'm pretty sure it was the first one. Uh, is a fantastic poet, has a lot of hilarious, witty poems about Brooklyn, and is just a, just a, a great dad, too, apparently, based on his poems. I have no idea if it's true, but... 
His poems make me believe it's true. Uh, also hates the uh, post office at the Atlantic term at, in Brooklyn Heights, uh, which, which I hate as well. Uh, one of my favorite poems about Brooklyn. It's in the Brooklyn Boats anthology back there. Uh, our Yarp of the Year for 2018 is Bill Livingston. Give it up for Bill. Thank you so much. I'll get my own mic. Thank you very much. Um, thank you so much for this honor. Thank you, Jason, the vast staff and intern crew at uh, Brooklyn Poets. Um, thank you to my predecessors, Emily, Arthur, Julie, Ricky. Um, this is amazing. My, uh, my family, I got to thank my family. They're here in spirit. Um, when I, when I first started coming here five years ago, I would tell my 16-year-old twin girls that I was taking parkour lessons. <laughs> and, but eventually they knew the truth, and now they're, they're always asking me, are you going to your sensitive poetry boy thing tonight? <laughs> um, I, don't know the, the I don't know really why I'm chosen this year, but I'd like to think it's for my awesome mic technique. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right on. But um, I'm going to read uh, the final poem of the evening. Um, I, I just love how many people are here. Um, when we started, it, it was like three quarters full, which was great. And it just does my heart good um, seeing how many people are here now, how it's grown and um, all the beautiful voices. I was going to come here tonight anyway I if I didn't have this. And um, thank you so much. Thank you. So I'm going to read something new. Um, this is inspired by a time a while ago when I was looking for sub uh, places online to submit my poetry, um, lit mags, and I came across one in their submission in their submission guidelines um, they said please don't send your poems about the little caterpillar or insect crawling across your desk windowsill or kitchen table I guess they get a lot of those so immediately I was like oh I'm gonna write one but instead of caterpillar or insect I'm using the word president. <laughs> See how this works out. It's called crawl. Inching across the vast formica tundra of my kitchen table, little president, your many legs are working against each other, stumbling on their resignations and holding on to their convictions. Your nose hits the deck and slimes the surface as the rest of you struggles to keep up. How small you are, how vulnerable. Your spiny bristles and foul stench emanating from your extruding glands, your only defense. Yet you are drunk on the power of lording over a world perceived to be bigger than mine. Stopping cold at salt and pepper shakers shaped like Russian nesting dolls. You shoot silk from your ass to form a wind sail. A blast of my hot breath launches you upward as the sail carries you to my windowsill for an awkward landing. 
Gather yourself and look outside. See how truly large the world is. Somewhere out there is the perfect real estate to spin your cocoon, if you even make it that far. And still you crawl along the sill with blank expression, searching for like-minded creatures to indulge in group regurgitation after feasting on reality. How frustrating, little president, your futile attempts to evolve into your chrysalis state. You're destined to remain a larva, your ugliest form. There will be no magical metamorphosis. You will never feel the majesty of flight. We won't be dusted with the powder from your wings. There's a hole in the window screen through which an army of ants is marching, each one small but mighty. They surround you, hoist you, carry you to the cliff and throw you over. Your silk fails and you hit the linoleum hard, raising your head as if pleading one last time. The ants continue their march to the lake of honey in a V formation, V for victory. You just couldn't stay dormant, could you? Thank you. Bill Livingston, everyone. Are you guys doing, are you guys just doing this thing now? So I need to give you the mic. Thank you, thank you. So we, the yawpers of the years, <laughs> are here, yes, we're so many years. We are very grateful to Jason for all the good that he has done for us and for the community that he so often touts after having created. <clears throat> so we bought him a present. And um, this one, Emily, you should open the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a square book. I like that. It's a little bit more like a pamphlet. We're not a big organization here. Oh, this is so nice, James Schuyler. Thank you. It's one of my favorite poets. Yeah. And because we weren't sure that the book would get here on time, <laughs> we went out and bought a, uh, a safety gift for you in case. And I was remembering how last month you were, um, you were um, sort of admiring, admiring would be the right word, um, Robert Gibbons' orange sweater. And you were wearing a black sweater. So we bought you an orange sweater. <laughs> So that you could be more like Robert Gibbons. <laughs> Go on with your business. Oh, there's a card. Signed by everybody in the room. Thank you, everyone. Wow, this was. Uh, yeah, this is a beautiful. This is a beautiful orange sweater. Um, I'm gonna have to wear this now. <laughs> in January, <laughs> you know what's nice about this is this is uh, Cleveland Browns color. So now, now, now that they're good, I can, I'm gonna wear this. Uh, I'm gonna wear this on Saturday when they play the Broncos. Of course, orange is also a Broncos color, so maybe. But you know, I'm sure I can. I'm sure I can find a way. 
find a way around that. But thank you so much for this, especially this uh, James Schuyler book. Do you guys read James Schuyler? You should. Uh, beautiful poet. Still underread, underappreciated. Uh, you know why? It's because poets don't support each other. That's why. So uh, leave here tonight. <laughs> support other poets and maybe poets will not be forgotten, like James Schuyler. Um, I have the results of the vote. I'm very excited about this. Wow, this was a, uh, not surprisingly, was the closest vote we've ever had. Uh, so close that we actually have two winners. Yeah. Uh, there was no tie-breaking vote, because I already voted, and I don't know if anyone else didn't vote. Uh, it's probably too late now, anyway. <laughs> Uh, we have a runner-up. Uh, we always give a runner-up as well. So uh, the runner-up wins a fabulous Broken Poets t-shirt, which is in the back and uh, definitely something you can buy for your loved ones for the holidays. And then our Yawper of the Year, not our Yawper, sorry, not our Yawper of the Year, but a, our, our Yawp Poem of the Year winner wins a cash prize, which is now going to be uh, beautifully divided in two. Uh, and also... And also, hey, it's still a lot of money. Uh, and also a Broken Poets t-shirt and a Poet of the Week feature on our website. Uh, I believe both of them have not been featured yet, so it's very exciting. And a membership for the next year, so there's a lot of spoils if you win uh, Yacht Poem of the Year. But our runner-up of 2018 Yacht Poem of the Year is Star Davis. Give it up for Star. <laughs> well-deserved well deserved indeed Was that room room two of the Hamptons retreat? <laughs> uh, it's a beautiful poem. Uh, I'm very happy. And she only, you know, runner up by one vote, one excruciating vote. So uh, very close to being a yes, uh, to being a. I don't know what what do you call three winners? Try winners? I don't even know if we have a term for that. A triumph. You can call it a triumph route, I guess. I'm looking for a prefix, Julie. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Anyway, uh, our co-winners, one of them also was one of her roommates, Emily Wilkinson, is one of our co-winners for Yacht Poem of the Year. <laughs> Which uh, definitely makes me happy because uh, you now at least have some cash to offset that plane ticket from Australia. Uh, so I'm going to announce the other co-winner. I'm going to invite you both up here to uh, say a few words. Uh, our other co-winner of Yacht Poem of the Year is Laura Murphy. Give it up for Laura. Where is Laura? Okay, so uh, Emily and Laura, you can come on up. Uh, say a few words. I guess one at a time, probably. Wow, uh, <laughs> thank you. This is my first year with Brooklyn Poets, so it's, uh, it's really an honor. Um, and thank you to my friends who came. I thought like one or two of them would come and then they all came. So thank you, I feel really loved. Um, and yes, it's great to be a part of this community and I look forward to 2019. <laughs> Thank you, that is really unexpected. Um, I'm really grateful. Um, 
and kind of lost for words. But, um, yeah, I just want to say thank you to everybody here and to Jason and – wait, I have to think <laughs> – um, for creating Brooklyn Poets, for creating this community, for keeping it alive, for um, – sharing your wisdom and poetry and to everybody for doing the same um yeah and and thank you for today i said before i'm really grateful to be here and yeah i am <laughs> so thank you Okay, thank you. So I was so unprepared for co-winners, I, I brought one check. <laughs> so rather than cutting that in half, I will, uh, uh, I guess, either Venmo both of you <laughs> or give one of you a check. I feel maybe I'm just going to give both of you a check and mail it to you. Uh, so definitely talk to me afterwards. Uh, and Bill Livingston, I still need to, I need to give you your cash prize as well. Um, I don't know why I'm holding this piece of paper. Uh, thank you for coming. This is a beautiful night. This is uh, probably the best yop we've ever had. Definitely the biggest crowd we've ever had. Thank you, especially those of you that stayed. All the people that left are dead to me. <laughs> of course, <laughs> we all know that. They're probably dead to you as well. Um, I just, you know, I'm not going to tell them who won. I'm going to find a way not to tell those people. Anyway, I'm just kind of kidding, but also sort of serious. Uh, have a great holiday. I hope you have a good uh, Christmas or Hanukkah, or if you don't celebrate either of those, just have a good December. Uh, I hope New Year's Eve, <laughs> it does not suck for you, as it almost always does. Y maybe you have the elixir for New Year's Eve. I hope New Year's Day is great. Get fat, get drunk, don't work out too much. That's not really for December. Uh, hope you do a lot of reading and writing. I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, our next job is in January. What is the second Monday of January? Does anybody know? Is it the 8th? You damn sure? Yeah? Okay. So January 8th is our first yop of January. January 8th is our first yop of January. That doesn't really make any sense. It's our first yop of the new year, and I, in fact, will be leading that workshop. So that's super exciting, I'm sure, for all of you. The reason why I'm leading it is, uh, I don't know if you know this, but 2019 is the 200th birthday, or it's coming, the 200th birthday of Walt Whitman, who is essentially our founder, not me. Uh, I'm sort of <laughs> like ostensibly our founder, but really our spiritual founder is Walt Whitman. On May 31st, 2019, he turns 200. We are going to be celebrating that with a, a reading and a celebra celebratory event, but what's leading into that reading, you guys are the first to know this, is a poetry contest that we're going to have uh, responding to a Walt Whitman prompt. And the line in Walt Whitman from Crossing Brooklyn Ferry that we are going to ask people to respond to is, what is it then between us? That is a line from Crossing Brooklyn Ferry, one of the most resonant lines from that poem. That is going to be a contest open to three different age groups. So high school students, 13 to 18, college students, 18 to 22, and then adults, all the rest of you, 23 and up. <laughs> That's, I guess, the most competitive age bracket since it's like 23 to potentially whatever. Uh, but three different age brackets, three different winners, and also two different runners up in each category. So nine total winners. And the judges of this contest, very illustrious, uh, Mark Doty, Rowan Ricardo Phillips, and Broken Poet Laureate Tina Chang. So all three of those poets are going to be judging this contest and also reading at the event. 
themselves. So May 31st, 2019, it's coming your way. So at the YOP in January, we are basically going to have a workshop where you all respond to that prompt. So you guys are all, if you come to that YOP, you're going to have a leg up on everyone else. You're just going to write the poem right here, or at least start it. Okay, so that's coming in January. Buy some swag, buy some books, buy Laura Eve's book. One more round of applause for Laura Eve Engel, our professor for tonight. Thank you. It's our end of your fundraising drive, so if you can throw in some extra money for donations, that would be appreciated. Thank you to Maggie Mendito, our intern, for counting the votes. Give her a round of applause. And that is all. Thank you for coming. Good night. There you have it. We have smacked down and the results were glorious. Congrats to our co-winners of Yacht Poem of the Year Award for 2018. Emily Wilkinson for her poem to my daughter with Shaw Gibbs Syndrome, age six. And Laura Murphy for her poem La Flaneuse. Emily traveled all the way from Australia, as you heard on the recording, to uh, make it to the event and read her poem, and it was definitely uh, travels well taken, <laughs> I guess is, is what you could say. Uh, and congrats as well to our runner-up by one vote less, one excruciating vote less, uh, Star Davis for her incredible poem, Order. Uh, it really feel like try winners in my mind. All three poems were amazing. This was uh, the most intense competition we've had yet for Poem of the Year honors. Uh, many votes for all the poets and several other poets were just a few votes behind uh, these top three. So uh, congrats to all the finalists once again. Annie Virginia, Judy Schneier, Carla Glacius, Emma Rojas, George Brocklehurst, Arthur Russell, a former winner of the award, Julia Knobloch, another former winner of the award, uh, Nikki Ritchie, and Keith Woodrow. Uh, if you like what you heard and are interested in joining the op, definitely come out for our next op on January 14th, where we will have an open mic and you might win Home of the Month and be a finalist for 2019 Yop Home of the Year. I myself will be leading the Yop workshop on January 14th and kicking off that open mic. You can sign up at BrooklynPoets.org. Uh, thanks for listening. Happy New Year. And uh, we will see you next time.